Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From Wish TV, this is All Indiana Politics Podcast with Phil Sanchez. Unfiltered. And thank you for listening to our latest installment of the Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Phil Sanchez, your host. Our guest today, Senator Mike Braun. Senator, good to see you, sir. Good to be on with you. Yeah. So, first, before we get into the issues, and I have your your, your papers here, which I appreciate, um, how has it been? You know, it's I'm used to uh, I go to bed late, get up early. I've done that my entire life, uh, channeled that into building a real, real little business in my hometown, uh, 17 years, knew it was maybe scalable, built it into a regional company. Uh, three of my four kids now run it with a good young executive team, and it's a national company, and I'm proud that uh, we did it uh, from the roots of small business, and the organization we built has been mostly organically from people there in Jasper. So. And I've tried to do my Senate gig in the same fashion. Got a lot of folks to come from Indiana out to D.C. And uh, so busy all the time. I'm used to now the back and forth. Uh, didn't know where your political future might take you, but mm-hmm. things are never simple in the sense that if I wanted to run for governor, uh, it was kind of an either-or decision. Uh, if you wanted to do it somewhere down the road, it would be nine years from now. So um, whoever gets elected most likely serves two terms. Learned a lot. Uh, school board member 10 years in my hometown. Yep. That call came in for my wife, not me. She did the old pivot. Well, I can't do it. Maybe my husband would be interested. <laughs> Got the call from our local state rep back in 2013 or 14 when he wanted to run for state senate. Said yes. Served three years in the state legislature. Learn there that if you stick your neck out, you can get a lot done in a short period of time and then put an excellent team together on constituent services back here in Indiana. One of the proudest things we've done as a Senate office is completed over 10,000 cases uh, not too long ago where a Hoosier gets entangled with the IRS, veterans issues, immigration, you name it. Uh, That's part of being a senator as well. And then got acknowledged as the most effective Republican senator when it comes to legislation as a Senate uh, freshman Senate office. Those are all things that kind of give you, I like a fast pace. I've always had it and looking forward to what you can do when you set the agenda or the CEO of the state and got along with the legislature that I served with most of them just a few years ago. We were talking off air that um, 
that was the last time the last time you ran, ran for Senate, that was your first election and the camp on the campaign trail. I mean, how how has this been different than that? Well, it's actually my third election in the sense that I got elected to a school board uh, unopposed. Right. They recruited to get you on that. And then I did run uh, for a state rep and got elected in 2014, served 15, 16, and 17. But when you're all of a sudden going from school board to state rep to running for Senate, that hasn't been uh, done hardly ever nationally or uh, in our own state. We didn't know who that might have been. Normally, you come from the farm system of politics, mm-hmm. and that is getting your law degree, pivoting quickly into elected or appointed politics. And I took my time and spent time in the real world. You learn a lot that way. And most of the things I weigh in on in the Senate, I've already had experience with that building the business. So this is uh, the second time uh, on the big stage. Right. And uh, I think all of those experiences play into why this is going to be a successful gubernatorial campaign. And I'd still elevate the trials and tribulations and the analog of building a little business into a regional and national company that came into play so often in my Senate journey. I was referring to a national uh, election, so yes. that was on me for not for not yeah. uh, communicating that correctly. Um, but let's get to the issues now, okay? So, sure. And I, you know, I went on your website, and I downloaded, you have this section there, it says the issues. So yeah. let's go through a few of them one sure. at a time. Hoosiers, jobs, and economic growth. That's number one. Yep. Why is that so important to you? It's the same reason it's uh, most important at the national level. And I think the uh, election of 2024 nationally is going to be because we had the best peace and prosperity and economy that I can remember. And I was in it 37 years prior to becoming a senator uh, under the Trump administration. And you get so many events that come along like COVID that would derail probably whoever was there when it occurred. But when you look now at the stark comparison of a sugar high economy, we were 18 trillion in debt when I got there five years ago, now 33 Interest rates have gone up 5%. Inflation, we didn't have any of that. That trickles down into your states. We are, thank goodness, a state that's got a good business environment. I've been a part of it. The reason I moved back, my wife had her only job as her business in our downtown for 45 years. Uh, Jobs in the economy, always number one. It's a great issue to run on if you're an incumbent and things are going well. Mm -hmm. It generally rules the roost when things aren't going well. Governor Eric Holcomb says things are going well. In our own state, you can make a case that we have gotten through it better than many, but we still have issues of very high health care costs. We have high infant mortality and maternal mortality rates. Uh, We're still not for our economy, producing kids with life skills or even reading abilities that are any better on reading 10 years ago. Life skills, are we preparing our kids for the jobs that are high demand, high wage? I think we can do better. I've lived through all that. That's why jobs in the economy, number one, and I feel so good about the collective experience I've had to take us to that next level. I mean, that takes me to my next uh, point here, or your, your next issue, which is improving education and putting kids first. Yes. W- w- where do you stand on that, and, and why is that so important to you? Well, number one, I can tell you uh, the microphone you've got is being a U.S. senator. I'll never forget when I got to uh, interview the Secretary of Education, Cardona, 
and it was when school boards were getting a little rowdy. In fact, he had just been to Indiana, and he said the board uh, meetings there have been a little rowdy. He made it political because your guy didn't win. Um, I asked him if he wanted to kind of retract that statement. No, that's how political things get even at that level, when education should be the bailiwick of state governments, then I had a simple question for him. Who should be the most important stakeholder in our own kids' education? He listed everything, everyone other than parents. Mm. Uh, I think that parents uh, should be the most important stakeholder in their own kids' education. A governor got elected in a very blue state, Yunkin, on that very theme. we got to make sure that for all the money we spend through state government, $11 billion a year, half of our total budget on K-12, through have life skills that are going to pre prepare you for future employment, enlistment, or enrollment into higher education. Based upon high demand, high wage jobs, your educational system with primary input from parents in terms of what they have as their own best interest for their kids have to be merged in to how we've done it in the past. Um, we could, you and I could probably talk about that forever because I'm a, I'm a parent to two young kids, 12 and 9. So something else that came up in the text that I read was uh, when it comes to, um, hold on here, uh, genders and biological males should yep. not be allowed to play, compete in girls' sports. Uh, where do you stand on that? Obviously, uh, we know where you stand, but why is that uh, top of your mind? Well, I'd have to... Uh quote Rand Paul's statement, what yeah. planet do you need to be from? I mean, I acknowledge all the issues that are complicated when it comes to the uh, social spectrum of issues, but uh, I think on that particular one, uh, it polls 98% among Republicans. Uh, it's in the high 70s among independents, and it's in the 60s among Democrats that biological males should not be competing with biological females. And uh, there was a law that passed in this state, uh, you know, that was vetoed. Mm -hmm. And that was by a supermajority legislature that reflected that feeling among Hoosiers. I'm one that on any of those issues, I, don't, I think the big issue in our country is when you come from a position of moral superiority, that's no good. You end up demonizing who you disagree with. And to get through these, you cannot do that. You've got to listen to what others say, make the right decision, do not demonize along the way. Yeah. And I think both sides of the aisle got to get better at that. No doubt about that. I think, you know, yeah. you know I'm looking at it from a different perspective, obviously, not yeah. in there, but from an outsider's, outsider looking in, rather. Standing up to woke corporations. Uh, this is something that we've heard a lot about over the past few years. And I know that you've talked about it a couple of times yeah. over the past couple of years. Why is this so important? So uh, my company is a large one now. Yeah. Uh, it runs like a large, small business. You know, certain dynamic with an entrepreneurial, agile company like that. Sometimes large public corporations have their own kind of uh, atmosphere. And when it comes to large public corporations, um, I've even been on the side that it makes sense uh, that there ought to be on the labor side representation to go against that clout. I don't think they should be dictating points of view when it comes to uh, professing a certain cultural point of view. You know, I led the effort in the U.S. Senate and got uh, the ESG that generated the uh, first 
veto uh, from the Biden administration. And I think corporate America has to stay in the line of commerce. I think when you start trying to indoctrinate through the boardroom, you're going to run into complications. And I don't see that coming from small business in Main Street. Uh, they're generally a, concerned about making a living and probably fall in line with a point of view that would be different from that. Again, anybody can take their own point of view and should have the freedom and liberty in this country to express it as long as they don't try to get into mandates or demonize those that may not agree with them. How do you legislate that? How do you, how do you govern that? I think there you try to let that out of the legislative arena as much as possible. When you enter into it, you got to reflect what the citizens in your own communities and states believe. I think when you try to homogenize that through a federal lens, that's when you get in trouble. Healthcare. That's obviously an issue not only for Hoosiers, but across the country. So uh, we, we, let's say you win. How do you, how do you work on that? So that's unique because yeah. that's generally a Democratic issue. Uh, when Republicans weren't interested in an alternative to Obamacare, that was not good. I knew in my own business when it was little, it didn't make much difference. But as we grew to 300 employees back in 08, it was a big difference. I was tired of hearing how lucky I was. It's only going up 5 to 10% mm -hmm. each year. You had to change underwriters every three years. You had to raise deductibles. Mm -hmm. I decided to take it on. Uh, we were large enough to become the insurance company. When I found out how much money they were making on my plan, I became that and created a cost center. Then when they told me that minor health care and overutilization of it drives our costs way up and too much attention is on remediation, not prevention, I took that all to heart, cut costs in my own business 15 years ago. We've not had a premium increase in 15 years, and I've got a healthier group of employees to boot. So how do you, how do, you do that if, if you're the governor? You make sure our state agencies are maybe run with those kind of insurance plans, and you make sure that your health care providers, insurance companies, hospitals embrace minimally transparency and competition. Mm. And don't try to block innovators because it's a gravy train with what you've got currently. Otherwise, you're going to have Bernie Sanders running it someday. And I've weighed in at the national level to try to reform it with transparency, competition. Do what works in the real world. Don't hide behind saying you're free enterprise when you don't want to tell people what your prices are. Right. Or in insurance where you don't want to try innovative stuff that's going to let maybe minor health care be done more between doctors and individuals outside of insurance. Help those who can't afford it, afford it, but rebuild a new system very much like what I did in my own business. I know you just got back from the southern border. What did you see, and, and what do you take away from that? Well, it's the second time I've been down there. I went there about two and a half years ago, right when all the action was down in the Rio Grande area. Texas has done so much on its own, it's actually by percentage having fewer illegal immigrants come across. They're now going through New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Uh, then it was moving up to Del Rio. This was uh, Eagle Pass, a town of 28,000 people, overwhelmed. 13 uh, people in the Sheriff's Department. I was asked to go down there by the Indiana Sheriff's Association. And it wasn't just a few sheriffs, 24 sheriffs 
down there. You know why? They're seeing the impact in our own state. Some counties worse than others. Let me give you some proportionality. At the end of the Trump administration, 15 to 20,000 illegal crossings a month. Early in the Biden administration, up to 50, 60, 70. We had never heard the term gotaways. The, those border states are being overwhelmed. Uh, you even see places like New York City mm -hmm. and Chicago, sanctuary cities, saying enough is enough. I think along with this jobs in the economy issue we talked about earlier, border will be the biggest issue in 24. And that doesn't look good for Democrats because Biden's had an open border sign out. That's why we're now up to 200,000 illegal crossings where they greet the Border Patrol, another 60,000 in a gotaway category. Those are folks coming in. They don't want to talk to anyone. That's a, over a half million people that have come in, and they're throughout this country, up to 150 nationalities. Mm. We were the place where legal immigration was the hallmark of the world. Uh, you need to secure that border, look at more legal immigration in places that we need it, and this current chaos we've got, that's why you had 24 Hoosier sheriffs go down to the border, and I was glad they invited me to come along. So as Governor Braun, how would you handle that situation here? You're going to find that it's not going to just be Texas and Florida and the border states that are concerned about it. Over time, it's going to be a cumulative issue that each state and even the ones that have been proponents of sanctuary cities and not enforcing in their own states, you're going to have to find that we'll need to do it. We cannot afford to support it. And look at the people that wait in line that come here. And without exception, uh, this place, this country has been built on immigrants coming here. It's just got to be done with a secure southern border. Even the northern border is now being broken into because we said it makes no difference. Yeah. And I think that's bad policy. I think Biden will pay for that. Ohio obviously recently legalized marijuana. Yep. Uh, where do you stand on that? I think that's something, if you just can extrapolate what's happened over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, we now have uh, way over, I think, half our states that have either legal uh, recreationally and medically mm -hmm. or medically alone. And we're now surrounded on all four sides uh, by Illinois and Michigan, I think, with both Ohio and Kentucky uh, on the uh, medical side. It's a matter of time. If you recall, we drug our feet on gambling. Mm -hmm. And now one of the states that uh, has more gambling revenue per capita than any of the others. So I think here you got to use good old Hoosier common sense. The feds aren't going to jump in. They would have done that a long time ago to say uh, they're going to change the rules. They're going to let states do this through nullification. It's already happening. So that means it's going to be an issue in our lap here soon. And, and, what, and what do you think? Where I'm going to listen to see uh, what makes most sense. I'm going to talk to law enforcement to see where they're at. All I can tell you is if you extrapolate with what we've seen across the country, moving from the west to the east, mostly. It's now surrounding us in the Midwest. I think you're going to have to look at it and see how you treat it reasonably. And to me, that's going to probably end up being regulated with legislation around mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You're unapolog uh, unapologetically pro-life, right? Yep. And, and you have been for, for quite some time. Um, 
where, if you do win, where do you see Indiana in a couple of years? I am proud of what our state legislature did when Roe versus Wade was returned to the states. That should have never gone away from states being able to decide that back uh, 49, now 50 years ago. Uh, I think, and we were the first place that came out and passed a reasonable uh, law that has reasonable exceptions. I think where the places you have seen these uh, referenda pass, it's because they had trigger laws or they didn't have anything in place. Mm -hmm. And I think we are a pro-life state. Uh, we got to be a pro-family state too. We got to make sure if you're for life that you're taking care of uh, kids uh, after they're born and mothers. We've got to do a better job at that. But I think our state legislature uh, put a good law out there, signed by the governor, already constitutionally tested, taken to the courts. And I think our law is going to stand as a guideline for more pro-life states. Senator Brown, we're almost out of time. Is there anything you want our listeners to, to know and our viewers to know if that maybe I haven't asked you? Well, I think when it comes to the fact that we got a, a robust field of gubernatorial candidates, that race is going well. And like anything I've done in life, I've built it on a solid foundation, uh, not to mention hard work. Uh, I do get up uh, early, go to bed late, and try to get a lot done in a day, engage others to come along with me. And i got a good vision where we can take a good state, take it to the next level. I've done it building a business. Uh, got the experience of being on a school board, three years of state legislator, and uh, the best Republican legislative record in the U.S. Senate currently as a freshman senator. So proud of all that. Senator Mike Braun, thanks so much for taking some time. You bet. From Wish TV, this is All Indiana Politics Podcast with Phil Sanchez. Unfiltered, in-depth, nonpartisan coverage, exclusive interviews with Indiana's political leaders. Subscribe to this podcast and listen weekly here on the All Indiana Podcast Network. And be sure to discover even more great podcasts at allindianapodcastnetwork.com.